is Tom Snagoski, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. And I'm not wearing any pants. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give me witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Bye-bye Saturday night. If you're listening to us in Kuala Lumpur, good afternoon, everybody. From the virtual greenhouse and studio deep in the underground living quarters of the intergalactic lobster refinery, welcome to TalkCast 280, this week's edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Enjoying the virtual vodka martini with a dash of artificial cholesterol. I am the Dome. And as we speak, Sir Sarah Lady Knight is winging her way to San Diego Comic-Con. We expect to hear all kinds of good stuff from her. Joining the talk cast tonight, the rest of the gang of four in the Revere Time Vortex, our technical anarchist. She runs everything behind the scenes, pushing buttons, pushing people, and pushing people's buttons. Her own girl genius, Kriana. My public service announcement for the evening is don't forget to fill your mail, Minder. Okay. <laughs> From the stacks of her personal space in the dank dungeons only indoor Zen garden, displaying the most complete and finest pseudo-sand collection in three galaxies, our own Zombrarian. I think my computer is haunted. What <laughs> makes you think? What Why do you think that, my dear? Because I he keep hearing these weird... You sure that's not the, the cat? No, I'm looking at the cats. Oh, that's not good then. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of terrifying. We need an exorc exorcism. <laughs> Our guest tonight uh, is, is a gentleman that I met a couple of weeks ago. At, wait a minute, wait a, a minute, wait a minute. I'm getting something. I need an old genius and a young genius. Sorry, had to do that. Okay. <laughs> right, get it? Apple genius? Like a priest? Yes. Never mind. Yes, I got it. I got it. I got it. Oh, Lord. And uh, as I walked by his booth at the convention, uh, we just actually started talking. Next thing I knew, I was interviewing him. Next thing I knew, I felt like I'd met an old friend, Alex Simmons. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Domes, and, and it's a pleasure to be here. I, I was curious to see what your description of my part of the galaxy would be, but that's okay. We'll, we'll get that next time. <laughs> well, uh, I think the part of the galaxy that you're from is a really interesting one. We're going to talk about it during the second half of the show. But first, the news. so much better with that. It's the only thing that we do, but we're actually getting better at it. Uh, we start off the show uh, on a somber note. Uh, Blaine Gibson, if you, and if you don't know who he is, I'm going to tell you who he is. He was a designer of sculptures and audio animatronic figures at uh, many of the Disney parks. 
has died at the age of 97 this week. Uh, you don't know him by name, but if you've ever been to any of the Disney parks, you've seen his work all over the place. Uh, anywhere that there's animatronic robot, anywhere that there's a statue, there's a good chance that Mr. Gibson had a part in its, in its design and making. Um, I remember the Hall of Presidents, which was one of, one of the most awe-inspiring and at the same time terrifying things I ever saw there, uh, as well as a lot of stuff uh, later on in life at the Haunted Mansion. Kriana, you remember the Haunted Mansion and the Tower of Terror? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> okay, okay, so I, I will jump in with this one because prior to the Hall of Presidents, um, Abe Lincoln, the animatron of Abe Lincoln, made an appearance at the 19, I believe it was the 63 World's Fair in New York City. And That's Queens. correct, yes. And, that, and, and I sat in the audience second from the front row and watched that sucker and wondered why for years thereafter there weren't robots already walking around taking care of business and stores and so forth forth. Because that thing was amazing. It was, it was yeah, there, there were two big things there. There was the World of Tomorrow, which was that round ride there, mm -hmm. where, where you actually moved around in a big circle in, in an amphitheater around five or six different shows. And then there was, yeah, the robotic Abe Lincoln. It, it, in retrospect now, it's, it had kind of a Futurama-esque feel to it. Uh, yeah, I wonder where they got that idea. <laughs> well, it, it was also a thing about showing, you know, I mean, if you want to talk branding, I guess, one could at least say, you know, look at American industry because it took you, I forget exactly, but it definitely took you back to early days of appliances. And they had these sort of um, uh, displays that, that rotated on the stage. And you saw uh, sort of a vintage kitchen at a certain, you know, circa 1920s, circa 1930s, and 40s, and 50s. And, uh, you know, each one saying, look where we've gone. Look how far we've come. So you know, a lot of that was about saying we've come from this. And, and now you can get an idea of what the future is going to be like. And, again, the animatron of Lincoln was there. And also there was a live... Uh, display not in that building, but near that building of a jetpack, you know, the gentleman strapped to a jetpack and flying. So again, I was wondering, you know, why didn't we have all this stuff now, considering we're talking 1963 when it was introduced? And where the hell is my flying car? Hmm. And uh, one thing, oh. one thing I would like to point out about Mr. Gibson, which as a nerd, I really appreciate it seems to me from reading the article that we're going to link to in the show notes um, that his great love at Disney Parks was the Hall of Presidents often described as the most boring ride but like that's awesome that that's the one that he was so into was the one that's mm -hmm important because it's history and politics that's so nice it was yeah yep. and it, he it was... retired in the 80s and the only times he came out of retirement was to work on the hall of presidents he did every <laughs> single one up to george bush the second can i just say 
that the Hall of Presidents only existed for parents to torture their children. <laughs> no well, child enjoyed that. I no, was really, no. I was actually really disappointed not to see it when I went to Disney. No, you weren't. If you had actually seen it, you would have been more disappointed. Now, Kriana, you weren't forced to go see it. Yes. Oh, wait. I was. You, you were, actually. Yeah, I take that back. Yes, I was. <laughs> I as was scared I wanted to see it. So As I recall, the, the line was, if you want to do this, we're going here first. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly, because I never saw the Hall of Presidents, so I have no idea what speeches were said and, and, and you know, Neither of do lights I, were, were I presented. Neither do I, because I through it. Did Dad <laughs> no. talk? The the only thing so. I will say the only thing I will say about that is that um, that flaw then is is in the, the the hands of those who presented the show, not necessarily the, the the technology, but in the scripts and so forth. Because I think one of the things that affects, and I'm not going to go there any further than this, but one of the things that American you know students are known to be weak in is American history. And because we are a good deal of the time, we continue to make the same mistakes. So it would have been more interesting, something dynamic and exciting had happened that would have made that ride interesting for hey, you. Hey, don't so get me wrong. I'm case. a John Adams fangirl. Does John know? <laughs> but this ride was like, you guys are looking at these robots through rosy-colored 1966 glasses. Seriously. They suck. They don't look good. Maybe they've updated them. I don't well, know. That, you know, again, that goes back to the original 1964 display. I, I'm going to find a video so, for you, Zombarian. It was okay. it's animatronics at its, essentially, inception at that point. And it was mm -hmm. not good. It got okay, once again, better. you're saying we're looking at it through rose-colored glasses, but what you're not seeing is that we, when we saw it, it was new. It was the beginning. And what I was saying is I'm sort of disappointed that we did go further with that and bring it to a point of where now, yeah, you'd be blown away by where it is. Not that that thing should be it anymore. But, you know, it's like, with again, with the jetpack and with other things, we sort of left them. We sort of did it in 63, 64, and then we walked away from it. I, I honestly am not genuflecting to that particular thing other than to say that when it came out, it blew everybody away. The same way color film suddenly blew everybody away, or Polaroid suddenly blew everybody away. But who's as thrilled or amazed by it now? I am so glad I never had to live through that. <laughs> Another first world problem brought to you by Kriana. <laughs> a world before color film. I am so glad I didn't have to live through that. How about a world before color TV? I uh, well, color film implies that dome. And no, only it does three stations. Two different things. Yeah, and only having three stations. No, 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 no. I think the real hardship here is no Netflix. <laughs> True. <laughs> wait, wait. Remember, remember when video rental was a thing? <laughs> How stupid is that? <laughs> uh, Good Lord. Hmm. You scare me sometimes, Kriana, but then again, I know you. But like, okay, so I, I'm actually looking at this video right now of Abe Lincoln, and he's got to be, they probably haven't updated him too much. I mean, if you look at pictures, he looks, 
it looks the same. The problem with these robots is the point of articulation. And faces have roughly a jillion points of articulation. Abe's face here has like 10. It does not look real. The sculpture is very nice. The latex work is beautiful, but it's the underlying mechanism is just just not the mechanism well, the sculpture is what is what Blaine Gibson did. Right. He I, thought he, I thought he actually built the robots. No, he worked with the animators. Let's criticize the dead guy. <laughs> well, that's not. what I want to do. <laughs> Oh, man, there's a video of the Country Bear Jamboree. Why am I not watching that one? I don't know. Go watch it. I'm going to. Screw you guys. I'm watching the Country Bear Jamboree. All right, segue. Somebody go do one. Uh, Country Bear uh, Jamboree. Okay, so this week... Oh, I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. Go ahead. I've got one. Okay, so we were just talking about how sometimes things look good and sometimes things look bad and sometimes you have to look at things in context to decide whether they look good or bad. And speaking of that, Melissa McCarthy was photographed on the set of the new Ghostbusters movie recently wearing her Ghostbusters jumpsuit. Now, as a fellow woman shaped a lot like Melissa McCarthy, like a lot like Melissa McCarthy, I was really expecting a lot worse. I'm going to give their wardrobe department some serious props for making that jumpsuit look even in the least little bit flattering and functional. It was a cool-looking suit, quite yeah. frankly. Yeah, and, really and, like, she doesn't look great in it because nobody looks great in a jumpsuit. Like, none of the original Ghostbusters looked good in their jumpsuits. But it's so much better than I expected it to be that I am pleasantly surprised. There are pictures of me using a functional jumpsuit um, in order to <laughs> do some spray... I think it was stain. I think I was spray staining some boards. And, uh, oh, God, it's not flattering at all. (laughs) So I'm so glad. I'm happy for Melissa McCarthy. And I'm actually excited for the new Ghostbusters movie. The more I think about it, the more I think she was absolutely the perfect person to pick for that. And I'm excited. It looks like a cool cast. A picture of what? The car released. Oh, the Ecto, yeah, cool. But yeah, it's uh, it, and it's shooting right in Boston, isn't it? Um, parts of it are apparently. Which so you guys, so. you guys could go, you know, go to the set and steal stuff. <gasps> I'm gonna steal that jumpsuit. There you go. So you can do that. Cosplay. She's taller than I am, though. We'll have to have it. She she's like a foot taller than you are, actually. Yeah, she's really tall. And I'm uh, short. You are. But you're cute, and that's all that really matters. No. Well, it's part of what really matters. You know who else is short? Who? Oh, wow. Great segue there. Thanks. People in Japan. And that's racist. <laughs> yes, it is. But so why did you say that? 
Because I needed a segue for Japan, and I said it before I used my I used my brain. <laughs> okay, so if we accept that, why did you need the segue to Japan? Well, because you had a news story about Japan. Oh, I wasn't going there, but fine. I'll do that. Okay, you know what? You know what? Let's let's not go there. Let's instead let's instead. Let's- Talk about right Benedict Cumberbatch. Right Can you no, go right talk there? Talk about Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman because Martin Freeman is short. Oh, what have you done now? You <laughs> no, I, I didn't actually do that. Look, Dome okay. is making fun of me because he thought I deleted something from the show document, but I totally didn't. It's right there. I- I'm watching a Seven okay. Dwarves ride now, <laughs> and that picture. Of the two of them is really hot. It really is, actually. And the uh, dome admits the, it. Word, the word is out that the 2015 special is going to be done. There's a whole bunch of rumors about it. But the cool thing is there's a whole bunch of uh, promo pictures for it of uh, top hats and bowlers, bowler hats and, 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 and uh, oh, drawing room poses it's quite interesting and that mustache is god awful though if well it's even worse in the second picture where he's pulled it into a full handlebar oh god oh (sighs) about that (laughs) (laughs) yes the only hit to what it is going to have in new season is the quote the stars were shining coldly in the cloudless sky, which is from Sherlock Holmes' The Adventure of the Blue Carbuncle, which is the only Sherlock Holmes Christmas story. Eh, interesting. It looks like we're going to get the Sherlock Holmes Christmas story this year, which, quite frankly, could be cooler than hell. True. Can hell be cool? Well, yeah, I can I mean in in traditional lore, if we go all the way back to Inferno, yeah. The, the last level of hell in fire is ice. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, really everybody's like, "Oh yeah, when hell freezes over." And I'm like, "Already happened." <laughs> Yeah, but see, I didn't even want to go to this story. If I was going, if I was going to this story or the Japan story, that would have been fine. We can talk about the Japan story in a second. Where I wanted to go is is to Brian Henson. Okay, yeah, let's do that because let's face it. For about fifteen years, uh, there has been a project in uh, the Henson universe. We seem to have lost our guest. We're going to get him back as it rings. Thank you. Hello. There you are. You're back. Yeah. Hey, I told you. I told you. Yeah. 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 I said, okay. If it falls out, we're going to grab him and bring him right back. <laughs> Be me, Scotty. We'll, we'll take care of you. No problems there. About 15 okay. years ago, Brian Hanson came up with something called The Happy Time Murders, ah. which is a. a, a weird 
kind of noir world where puppets and humans live live together, and with it's Greg been the bunny. Yeah, kind of in a way but like with that. Murder. With murders and kind of a uh, uh, a Maltese Falcon kind of feel to it, oh. and it's been a development hell for an awfully long time, and. The word is now that Henson Company has partnered with STX Entertainment and put this into a fast track of active development. Because oh my gosh. They, this sounds like so much fun. Uh, oh and Henson Studios started to really... Oh, here it is. The story of an alcoholic ex-LAPD detective puppet investigating the gruesome murders of former puppet stars of a 1980 kids show alongside his human ex-partner, uh, which sounds really cool. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And this photo. Is that not the best photo ever? It really is. Okay, for those of you who can't see this with me right now, it's, which is it's one is puppet sitting on the desk, and then there's two more lying on the ground, and there's pink, like, stuffing thrown everywhere, and people are taking crime scene photos. <laughs> and there are humans and puppets in the same. It's wonderful. Oh it's going my gosh. That's hilarious. So I we love Brian Henson's morbid, morbid, insane mind. <laughs> the Happy Time Murders, I honestly can't wait to see it. Uh, and if, if it ever happens, it's going to be wonderful. Where Zombrian was trying to pull us with her, well, slightly racist <laughs> comment. No, not slightly. I will fully admit and apologize that I sa said for saying something completely racist a little while ago. I feel like a bad person. I totally missed I it. I was, I was watching The Little Mermaid ride now. I said all people in Japan are short. That's true, though. They're all well, about... But it's not. But, but oh. yeah. It, well, like, everything is built for, like, people who are our height. Here, like, everything's built for, like, People who are five or five between five, six, seven feet tall, right? Seven feet tall is pushing it. But in Japan, everything is built for people who are between four and five feet tall. Or four and five and a half feet tall. I went to see a baseball game in Tokyo. It was the most uncomfortable experience of my life because the seat in the stadium was not meant for a person of my size and bulk, period. So there's, there's some truth to that, unfortunately. There are smaller humans, for whatever reason. In any and, case... And you have to remember that that population has been isolated for a very long time. Okay, okay. Let's, let's, let's drop it. Can we get it. into the genetics of this? No. no should, you know what we should talk about, though? Giant robots. And Giant robots. Giant because robots. there was this wonderful video about uh, a giant robot uh, kind of roaming the streets of Tokyo that had been built uh, by this company, yeah, which I am never going to be able to pronounce. Pseudo Bashi Heavy Industries? Oh, sure. Yikes. 
Ouch. It's as close as I'm going to get, and that's that. Uh, it was a really interesting robot called Megabot MK. And this company in the U.S. Uh, said, uh, by the, that goes by the name of Megabots Incorporated, said, we'd like to duel your robot with ours and sent a video challenge to them. And the Japanese responded with, uh, we accept the duel, tell Megabots, if they organize the duel, we will be there. So there is going to be a giant robot duel somewhere. And we're going to post a link to the page with all different videos and challenges of, of two giant robots. It should like be in Kansas or someplace. <laughs> I don't know why, but... Or Detroit. of area then, I guess. Or, or Detroit, because there's plenty of wreckage there already. <laughs> oh, see, now I'm not going there. I'm not going there. <laughs> I mean, just replay RoboCop for whatever reason. Oh, so... Exactly. Um, let me see. What else we got going on? Is there anything else? Oh, there's there's a new Star Wars app that you can get for free on Android and iOS nine, eight, and whatever. That it's kind of interesting. Oh, I know. There was one other thing I did want to get to. Um, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the Goosebumps movie. And how Kriana went in her younger incarnation. This is a fan of Goosebumps. I remember that well, actually. And today, the very first trailer uh, surfaced for it. And we're going to put a link to the trailer. Wonder what you guys think of it. For me, uh, it was really good. I really liked it. I hate everything uh, about this. Why do you hit yeah, it? Yeah, I'm still wary. I'm because, still wary. Because the whole creep factor of Goosebumps is that it's not presented to you visually. It encourages reading. Reading is good. Reading right. makes it more fun. When you put it on the big screen, it looks cheap and tawdry and just, just, no. It, it, it takes all learn. of the mystical and it takes all of the imaginative creepiness out of it. Just like showing the scenes that Alfred Hitchcock left out of all of his thrillers. And we've already learned that with the 90s um, show series of Goosebumps. Yeah, which was terrifying. I think that was a, a whole different animal. And the question for both of you is, have you seen the trailer yet? Nope, which is why I'm saying I'm wary instead of I'm not excited. I hate everything about this. Kriana has more definite feelings. I hate everything about this. I think it's a terrible idea. And if I could go back and take back all of the Lord of the Rings movies and murder Peter Jackson before he could start that, I would do it. For the good of humanity. For the good of humanity. And for the integrity of of a fucking story. I think that um, Chris Tolkien would go with you. I think several members of that estate would come with me. <laughs> I, I think more, more know, than just um, them. I'm, I'm going to say this. 
speaking um, as as uh, one who likes old films as well as some new films, um, the reaction you're displaying right now is forever. It, it, it's been since the dawn of time film. You know, a book is a book. It's a completely animal the film. The moment that someone does an adaptation of a book into a film, it's no longer that novel. It never will be. And one can always appreciate the book and keep the book and hold the book. You don't just read the movie. But Hollywood's certainly not going to stop doing that. And some writers are not going to stop wanting or seeking a Hollywood deal. And that's fine. And that's fine. However, if you're going to say, I'm making a movie of this book, all I'm saying is stick to the plot. Do not going to happen. Do the actual story. Don't change. Do, don't change. Read, don't you, change the end to invalidate the entire point of the entire story. Once again, not necessarily going to happen. There will be absolutely exceptions. Absolutely. But I mean, even with a, a project of mine, which we may talk about later or not, um, I was told we love the book. We love what you did. With it. We love the character. We love the setting. It's all great. How can we change it? And that was really where it went. It's almost like they go, yeah, that was great what you did, but we're going to do it better. Our way is better. But the other, you know, so there's two aspects of it. One, film is different from a book. Fine. We all get that. And like you said, if you're going to do the book, how about doing the book? On the other hand, if you get real talent and they're really in love with the book and they think they can do the book faithfully, you get that. Otherwise, you're going to get... What if we, you know what, that's not going to have the bang for the buck we want. we got to try to expand on that. Or special to allow this to go, blah, blah, blah. Or at least some of the actors. I won't play that part that well. Whoops, well, looks like we lost him. Oh, damn, we did. Anyway, hang on, let me, let me try to get him back. Yeah, please. Um, Make sure you tell him that we didn't hang up on him just because we don't <laughs> If you didn't like what I was saying, oh no, 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 no! <laughs> oh man! Oh man! I'm getting blamed for everything around here. I was actually just gonna jump quick. in. I was gonna jump in and say that while on the one hand, yes, books and movies are a different animal and all that, and Hollywood's never gonna stop making adaptations. I do think that there are some books that make better adaptations than others. All I'm saying is don't mm -hmm. false advertise yourself. Don't say, I'm doing this. Don't profess, like Peter Jackson, to love the source material, to live and breathe the source material, and then be like, you know what? This whole, like, Hobbit enslavement thing, not working out for me. Just gonna change. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna change the whole ending. I'm gonna give credit where credit is due. The Fellowship of the Ring, well, yes, there were problems with it. <laughs> Don't try to defend any part of this. I think that <laughs> you're, you're, wait a minute, wait a minute. Think about who you're talking to and do not try to defend any part of this because you will be in tears. I think it went downhill. I think that Peter Jackson got Oh, sure, out. it got worse. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Jackson got drunk with the power. Have there been books that made better movies than books? Yes. I'm even I Zombrarian will say that. However, 
do I think that Goosebumps is going to make a better movie than a book? It's going to be no. horrible. And you movie. know why? Because little morbid children can imagine scarier stuff than you can ever put into a Goosebumps movie because your rating would not allow them to go see it unless their parents are horrible. And that's that was what made the Goosebumps books entertaining and scary, is that exactly. you could imagine them, and, and they were like, it was ambiguous what was going on at a lot of the points. And yeah. the, the way that, that this is going to be done is going to be very not ambiguous, because that's not how horror works these days. Yep, and, and, you know, terrifying, morbid children with active imaginations like me and Kriana. So then you see it literally happening happening on the screen, and it's not scary, it just looks ridiculous. Yeah. Well, well, you know, it's funny, I'm not conscious... ...who would be more scared... Kids imagine things that are scary up to their threshold of scary with the Goosebumps books, and then they stop. Like, having talked to kids who read the Goosebumps books, they describe the story completely differently based on what they thought was the most scary part about it. Well, once again, and, what, you're, what you're talking about is a situation that, again, has existed uh, for, for, for all time. Well, yes, because, but we can talk uh, you know, about if, this if you go back to, and... Right. But and you go back, you go back to old radio film, for a moment. I don't think that the source material will translate well to tell to to well, I mean, a movie. But again, what is, what is going to? I mean, in other words, I'm not I'm not rate, rate rooting for the Goosebumps movies to succeed or fail. But I'm just thinking about in terms of you, you mentioned a really you know uh, an integral point to a lot of things that uh, some of the artists that I know focus on is imagination and validating imagination, in particular in kids, uh, but you know in, in young adults and adults as well. But the reality is how, met, how many of us have that opportunity to let our imaginations go while reading a story or getting involved in a story. A lot of media is handed to us now. Uh, you're right, the goosebumps, when each child would experience that through their own filter. And, and how scary it, it was for them was based on, on their senses and their, their imagination. And now you have you know, a movie which is going to tell you what it thinks is going to be scary and horrific and whatever. And once again, for some kids, they'll go, oh, that's cool. And for a lot of other kids, they'll be like you. And they'll say, well, that sucks. And that's what's going to happen. I, I would just hope that uh, people keep writing the books, though. Well, it's not, it's writing, not that it it's, sucks. Yeah. It's, it's that, like, it, it, when you, when you, have you ever read a Goosebumps book? Yeah, and I know some of the people wrote them. So, so like, okay, like the one where the mask gets fused to the kid's face. When you're watching that on TV... It does not look scary. It does not look scary at all. Now, I'm going back to the oh. 90s ones for that. And I just can't imagine, like, this kid with a mask stuck on their face. Like, unless you find I, this I, amazing child actor. Sure. Can I ask you a question? Okay. Do you ever watch Doctor Who? Yes. Okay. Remember the, the episode where that was the case, where there was people with the guest masks? With Starface, that's a creepy episode. Yes, season two. Yes, 
Right, that's an extremely creepy episode. But Why did the gas the mask it make it creepy? I don't think so. I think it was everything else that was going on at the time. Well, the and that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about, though. They're simplistic, though. They're very simple but because you, they're tiny you just criticized. Books. You just criticized the episode, the TV episode. And I'm saying it I'm has not, a lot I'm to do. I'm not criticizing the episode itself. I'm criticizing like the way they went about producing it. Like, And if, that's what I'm saying. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. I'm, I'm agreeing with you, but I'm saying it has to do with the team that's on it and the tone they established. Again, I'm still not cheering for the Goosebumps movie. I'm simply saying a lot of that may have to do not so much with the element of the story, but with the producer, the director, and, and how they chose to shoot that. I you know, have no, I have no confidence make it in, this, in this current team that it's going to be any good at all. Let's, let's mm. look at that. Who's directing? Uh, I don't know. Who is directing, Dome? But Jack Black is playing R.L. Stein. Yeah, this is not a good sign. <laughs> this, is, this is not a good sign. Jack Black has made some amazing movies and played some amazing characters, but I don't feel like he can do R.L. Stein this justice. This is potentially the worst sign. Jack Black is good for a lot of things, but this is not one of them. School of Rock. Exactly. Oh, well. Best sure. movie. Sure. This is this is just not one of them. It's like a let's see who's Dome. Did we lose you? We did, but I'm uh, back. Robert Letterman, whoever Dave Letterman's cousin. I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he's being assisted by Pauline Schaefer. <laughs> oh, I feel so much better. I know. That's that's Claudia's cousin, right? <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Because she changed her name to make it more appealing or something. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, now that we have ganged up on the guest, maybe we should interview him. What a great idea. Does this guest do things? Nah. Yeah, we can kind of do that. I just hang out. (laughs) Anyhow. Um, Yes. When 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 I met you a couple of weeks back, uh, you were hanging out with a bunch of other uh, artists and and actors who I don't want to say cater to kids because they don't and you don't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you were kind of working in that vein at that point, and what what changed your table was uh, your your work as a new editor at Archie Comics. Uh-huh. And it's oh, were you, kind of a, it, Okay, there we go. <laughs> Are you there still? Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm there. I, 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 I couldn't tell if that was a statement or a question, so I was waiting there. Uh, I'm, I it's really hard to tell ever, with Dome. It's really impossible. Yeah, I, I don't really ask questions. I just kind of say stuff. Wait, 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 wait. So, you do stuff. That, that's Dome's interview right. technique. Exactly. And, the, and then the guest is like, yes? No, I, I've, I've actually had people that have interviewed look at me and go, uh, was that actually a question? And the answer is usually, no, not really. Well, so that guest was a little more distracting. Yes, she was. Thank you very much. So, so anyhow, as you know, we we started talking about 
how you got involved with Archie Comics and what your plans were for them. Can we talk a little bit about that? Uh, well, I mean, I again, if I remember our conversation, we definitely talked about um, the, the time I spent writing for Archie Comics, which I guess I should say that. I'm a writer, not an illustrator. So I'm... Um, my work in comics as well as children's books as well as plays and theater and uh, screenplays and things like that as well as a, predominantly a writer, and I, I did have some years in my, as an actor. But in terms of Archie Comics, uh, I started working for them in 2006-2007, and I've written a number of uh, mini-series for them with, with old Archie, with uh, Jughead, with uh, several lead actors. I've written into, you know, sort of one uh, stories for them as well. And uh, one of the miniseries that they just put out in a graphic novel form is Archie Clash of the New Kids, in which I was able to introduce a slew of new supporting characters. And I see me, but, you know, I did some of it also for Neto Ruiz and Dan, uh, a parent. So we, we worked in a, a whole slew of new characters, supporting characters for the Archie gang to sort of go up against and and clash with, you know, in both your humorous way or in you know, that sort of bickering way that's always fun and safe and classic Archie Riverdale. No, wait a minute, um, wait a minute, because things... I, I, can we just go back for 30 seconds? For our listeners who may not be <clears throat> as old as Dome, let's put it that way, um, what is Archie? Why why do people like Archie? He has no discernible superpowers, as far as I can tell. Okay, so it's, it's interesting you said it that way, because uh, I feel like I should put on gloves. But, okay, Archie... What kind of gloves? Like, fingerless hobo yeah, gloves? Or... No, we're not talking that. We're talking the things they tie on your wrist and we step into a ring. Oh. Um, I don't know how old the I feel like we should I have a drink first. I I suspect, <laughs> I suspect, I suspect that neither one of us around 1939, but, and I could do wrong, but I don't think so, uh, which is when the first Archie comic was created. And Archie comic, Archie is considered, quote unquote, an iconic all-American team comic. You know, it's by been that safe sort of, well, by the world. And once again, that's, that's, that's your first step. Um, literally, Archie Comic has sold, has never gone out of publication, has been selling for over 70-some-odd years in the United States, Europe, and various... No, 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 I, I think you mistook my India. question. Just just give me, what, what is Archie's backstory? Who, what's, who's the market? What's the premise what's the of this comic? Oh, the premise. Okay, okay. So the premise is, basically, it's, it's teen angst humor. It's, it's teenage... Stop. Archie is, is a nice kid, red hair, freckles, lives in Riverdale, which is a nice little town, community, whatever. He's got a crush on two girls, Betty and Veronica. Betty is the all-American, blonde, blue-eyed. She's, she's, depending on what era, he started reading Archie, and I'll explain that later. Uh, Betty can do, she can dance, she can play sports, she can work on cars. She's fun. She comes from a middle-class family. Uh, Veronica is Veronica Lodge. She comes from a wealthy family. Mr. Lodge owns this and buys that and runs corporations and all that. And she's a bit stuck up and full of herself and very fashion conscious. But Archie likes both of them. And they, for whatever reason, both seem to love and like him. So there's a little bit of that, gee, which girl do I go out with? Which one do I want to date? And I'm actually going to date with this one on the same or date with the other. And so there's a lot of that little nonsense going on in between those two. Then you got Reggie, who is, you know, the every 
every kid, every teen kid in particular has somebody who's classically a prankster, who's also a bit full of himself, who thinks he's God's gift, and you got Reggie. So Reggie's got his act going on. And you got Jughead. Jughead is Archie's best buddy. And Jughead is really probably, I'd say, in that universe, the most independent soul they have. Jug is laid back, you know, he loves to eat, he weighs like six pounds. Uh, he, he, he's not out to impress anybody. He's not really chasing a date or a girlfriend. It's not really what he's into too much work. And sometimes people see him as lazy and so forth, but Jug is just easy going. He's just mellow. Uh, and then you have, um, you know, some of the other supporting characters. But Archie, Betty, Veronica, Jughead, and Reggie are the, the five, the key five. And the universe is this town where, you know, all these silly, fun things can happen, where you can accidentally, you know, uh, bust up Dad's car and have to fix all these comical things. They were a way of presenting the, the pretty side of democracy in America and, and a good life and middle-class life in America and fun and humor, and it was safe, safe comics. You know, you weren't going to see anything involving a lot of violence. You weren't going to, you know, there wasn't going to be a lot of cursing. There wasn't going to be no nudity, blah, 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 blah. And this particular image permeated the, the globe for 70 years. The last five years, the company has taken a few new turns. And so, for instance, 2010... Again, the whole thing for about 70 years is, which girl is he going to choose, and why are they still waiting for him? So in 2010, someone decided to do this Maxi series, this, this big story. Archie marries Veronica, Archie marries Betty. What if he actually married one I won't go into how they worked that What if story, Veronica and Betty married each other? Well, don't, don't, don't hold your breath too long. Who knows? Anything is possible now. But here's that world. Here's a world where, well, this is where Archie changed, or at least a section of Archie, a section of the Archie universe changed. So Archie marries Veronica, and a whole bunch of people lost their minds. The media went crazy. And you have to understand, the comic book industry, especially the media, had pretty much been ignoring Archie comics for a long time because, you know, they're not doing anything sexy. They're not doing anything spectacular. They're not doing anything that's really blowing anybody's thoughts off. And so they were hardly doing any kind of write-ups or talking about them whatsoever. The moment they did that, Good Morning America and all, all these other outside the industry media began to just descend on Archie Comics and get the story and plug the story and talk about the story. So then the, the inner industry, industry did that. And there's actually uh, a real-life scenario. Someone in Florida who owned one of the first Archie Comics, he was so pissed off that Archie chose to marry Veronica that he sold off his, his, art, his first one edition there for less than it was worth. The money he got for it was somewhere around $30,000. But he just wanted to get rid of it because he was that pissed that Archie didn't shoot Betty. So that's the kind of mindset he's got. Now, um, he now did correct the, uh, me if Miami I'm wrong, but the only, the only thing I remember ever seeing in the news about Archie, and it was somewhat recently, was that he died? Okay, so we're talking universes again. Because of the success, and it was an extreme success. If you Google, you'll get all the articles that were written about it during that time. Because of the extreme success from 2010 to 11 with that storyline, which was a short-lived storyline, the company decided to do a series called Life with Archie. And it was an oversized book, just like more Mavi, and it was, okay, the kids 
made it through high school, they went through college or whatever, they graduated or at least they're older now, they're getting married, they're getting a job, both their lives, be alive. And half the book was Archie married to Veronica and half the book was Archie marries Betty. And what would those lives be like? What would those lives look like? And that series went on for, I believe, about uh, 36 issues. And at the end of that series, Archie gets shot. Because once again, they were creating a new universe, a new universal experience with Archie, something that they had not done with him before he died. Some people were getting hurt, there were divorces or cancer in those stories. They were trying to, almost like a One Tree Hill gossip girl thing, they were, they were trying to move it in a quote-unquote fictionalized, more realistic world. But, but if I remember correctly, oh, he, he died defending his gay friend trying to prove he was not homophobic. No, that's not correct. That's okay, which, which, it, who, that's who did correct. that? Okay, who said that then? Archie, did die, Archie died taking a bullet for his friend, Kevin, who is gay. It okay. had nothing to do with Archie trying to prove he was not homophobic. That was never, ever... So, so I think the, the burning place. question is, who was shooting at Kevin and why? Read story. <laughs> I'm a friend of Paul Kupperberg who wrote all that stuff. Read it. I'm, I'm not going to throw that thing out there. No. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Archie died! Wait a minute, we should have said that before. <laughs> Crap. Yeah, well, it's known. I mean, by this point... It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It could be a, a Lord of the Rings, so. and people are like... Gandalf, is it dead? Spoilers! And you're like, guys, really? Still, doesn't matter. And, as, 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 and again, talking the universe, so the Archie life with, life with Archie was one splinter universe. The other universe, which is also fairly recent, in the past year or so, was Afterlife with Archie, which I always phrase as walking it meets Archie. And there's a zombie outbreak, and it's, it's big time. It, it, it sold out, I think, the first five issues sold out almost immediately and that series is you know being developed uh, written and developed by uh, I'm trying to remember the name Roberto something or that I have a copy in front of me but he's a film director writer, so you know there's a Hollywood connection there but that series, so I mean when you read those stories that's a classic you know, people are dying through some there's some kinky stuff going on so that's a whole nother Whoa, part there's zombie kink and, and that's what I'm getting from this. <laughs> well, there you Whoa. go. Uh, you can take that away. That's a long way from where yep. it was. From Riverdale. Yeah, yeah exactly. And then you have classic Archie, which is the kind of material that it's the company's been producing since the dawn of time. And you get new stories as well as reprints of the old stories. So there's material for families and kids and that sort of thing. There's material that they generated for a slightly older audience, and there's material that they generated for people who really like guts and gore and gruesome and and again. All right, it, so now that we've got this overview, storyline, but I like the way it's done. I feel it's like we've got the well overview now of where we've been and where where we've been recently. So now, where are we going? That's a good question. Um, they've just done uh, a new Archie number one issue with a whole new look the series um so you can you know check that out uh the direction they're going in and this is my opinion not me quoting the company line at all 
Uh, they once you know, obviously they're trying to develop new audience and, and as well as attempt uh, to keep the old audience. But my opinion is that they're developing material that is, in their hope, going to be better. Uh, it's going to be easier for for the generation now to identify with and connect to, and also that is potential material, springboard material, storyboard material for some sort of TV or film deal, because. It's a lot of thing with comics right now. Is, is a lot of the material people are, you know, becoming content for television and uh, major motion pictures. Sombrarian Halloween costume idea, gender swapped Archie. Okay, continue. Dome, did you have more questions? <laughs> so one of the things that we talked about was in your your tender uh, having having uh control of the the Archie series was to bring some diversity into the series. And that's one of the things yeah. that yep. that that was um, kind of the, your it, hallmark for it. Well it was it was certainly one of the things as an African American and, and I forget which one of you wonderful people said earlier. For those of you who can't see yeah. <laughs> so those can't see wow, what I, look I totally like, you know? missed that. But right, right. As an African American, I, you know, there's there's certain things that resonate with me automatically just by life experience, and you know, the world is very diverse. There's a lot of folks out here of different hues and cultures and so forth. And for certain periods in in media history as well as world history, but certainly media history, uh, certain cultures were either misrepresented or not represented at all. So, you know, from the 60s forward, things started to happen in the comic book industry to bring more people of color into it, whether it was black or Asian or whatever. And when I, and we're talking now 2006, uh, when I went up to Archie Comics, I'd written stuff for DC and I'd written some independent work material already. I went up to Archie to see if I could get, you know, some gigs, writing some stuff for them. And wound up in a meeting with a number of them, and the question was put to me, and I feel quite earnestly, why do people consider Archie to be white bread? And, you know, I, I sort of paused for a moment there, because I knew one other person in the room was certainly clear on why that was. Uh, but I thought there was, you know, other people asking a legitimate question, and I said, well, you know, take a look, A, at your five stars, you know, you got Archie and the other four. And as near as I can tell, they're all Caucasian. I said, and then you look at the support characters, the majority of the support characters, and they're all Caucasian. And they mentioned, you know, the editors mentioned, well, you know, we have Raj, who's, who's East Indian, and we have, uh, I forget the character's name, but she was uh, Japanese. Uh, and I said, well, you know, that's all cool and everything, but you have one of this and one of that. You know, and even if they have families in Riverdale, that's, and we don't see the families 90% of the time. We see that character in a story or two. I think even more important is take a look, open up any of your books, and just look at the backgrounds. You know, you're in high school, and you're in the cafeteria, you're outside school, everybody's getting out, you're in the local you know, pizza parlor and whatever, you're in all these different places, and do you see any diversity in the background? No. So until you start to pepper the world of Riverdale to reflect the world in which you live, the impression is it's a white world, period. You know, so from, from that conversation, and I feel their earnest interest in figuring this out, um, they begin to do more with some of their characters. I think some of their artists 
We're giving more and more uh, leeway. I'm not saying it was my statement that made that happen, but I'm saying that, that at that time period, things began to sort of open up even more. Uh, I was able to do some stuff with Chuck Clayton, which is a character that they had in the series of the 70s, which you next saw here. And I had a chance to do some stories where I introduced new characters to whether they were African American or uh, Middle Eastern or whatever, oh, and also change up the kind of kids that they were meeting. I mean, you were meeting some out, you know, some outcast type kids. You were meeting uh, uh, this is one of the kids I came up with. Is a girl where you know, she and Veronica clash because Veronica is all about that. She's all about name brand, wearing the top name design. And the girl says, you wear everybody else's name. I wear my own because the girl designs her own stuff. And so Veronica is trying to, you know, one up this girl. But the bottom line is, you know, what is it? What is creativity and where does that go? You know, there be people in the world who are outside the box thinker deal with it. So, you know, we, we were a bit more free to them. And over the years, that's one of the things I've enjoyed is being able to play in that world and affect it in certain ways that I feel were positive. You know, there, there's a bunch of other stuff we could talk about. Uh, the Comic-Con work that you do, uh, using comic books to, to help teach literacy. There's the, uh, the series that you have, uh, the uh, Blackjack Adventures, uh, which mm-hmm. I'm... I'm starting to read now, and I'm really, really liking it a lot. Uh, and, and at some point, yeah, no, it's it's fun stuff. And it's, you know, it's what what I see happening with a lot of your work is it's not formulaic because there's a lot of stuff in comics and books that that can get that way. But you know, you're bringing uh, your own background into the work that you're doing which makes it very special and very different and very real. And it's a lot of fun. I, thank you. I think that that's necessary. I, you know, uh, I teach uh, writing. I've been, you know, very schools as a guest speaker doing workshops. And I'm, I'm right now teaching uh, writing, writing at New York Film Academy uh, in New York City. Um, one of the things I've said to every single group of students that I've worked with, whether they're very young or they're adults, is that's the single most important thing that a creative person brings to a project. The artist brings who they are to the table. You know, their life experiences, their, their, their concepts and philosophies about things. And that's how a story can either be very different and interesting from some thoughts you've heard a thousand times before or how they can also fall flat. The, the idea is what do you bring to the table to make this particular creative experience unique to you or unique to this experience. So, yeah, I, I try and bring, you know, the things that I've done, the things that I've seen. Uh, the Kids Comic Con, which is the, the children's comic book convention and uh, which promotes literacy and creative arts and validating kids' imagination, which goes back to about earlier. Uh, the Kid Comic Con is something, an initiative I came up with years ago, back in the, in the late 90s, and have been promoting and finally have a home for it. Now, we've been doing this convention for nine years in New York. But that is all about the fact that I know that kids read comics. You know, you may have trouble getting children to read books, novels, and things. You know, some do, thank goodness. But you have a lot of kids who either aren't interested in it, uh, have attention span concerns, have reading challenges or language challenges, and comics cross 
some of those bears are incredibly for them. So when you stop making books for them and you stop doing programs and shows and things and invite them in so they get excited about drawing and art and reading and creative and imagining possibilities, then you start slamming doors on their fingers. And so that was a problem for me. And I knew I had been supported when I was growing up with all that kind of stuff. And I want to make sure it was still out there for kids now. So, yeah, you, that was my, my philosophy coming, you know, that. And with Blackjack, um, again, being African-American, when I was growing up as a kid, I, I watched a lot of old movies on TV, movies that had been made in the 30s and 40s, but here they were on television, mystery films, adventure films, detective films, you know, all that kind of stuff, the TV shows. And many of them had no black characters in them at all. No heroes, no, not even any villains, you know. And except for maybe Tarzan, we don't even need to talk about that. And no, we do not. Start, <laughs> right, okay. And then we get into the books, the comics. It wasn't until the 60s that you really began to see black faces in more of the comics in quote unquote starring or heroic role. So that's, you know, at that point, 60s to, to 70s, we we're talking about, I'd already. You know, I was hitting my teens and moving forward. So a lot of this was, I love adventure stories. I love superhero stories. I love those stories, science fiction, those things that titillated my imagination. But where were we? And because you learn as you grow, if, if you're smart, you do that. You, you read sort of information. Um, I'd read about black explorers and soldiers and all of that. I mean, we'd been there. I knew there were things we had done. It just wasn't it wasn't out there for the general public. So for me, it was, what if there was an adventure hero who did such and such? And that's sort of how Blackjack came out of that. I had a family history in there, you know, black soldiers who went and fought in other countries, how they didn't want to come back to the United States, many of them, because they felt out here in this other world, yeah, okay, I'm a soldier, but I also feel more like a man, and I feel I can do things, and I'm not a subservient. So they stayed. So, you know, my, my lead character's father, that's what he did. And my, my lead character, Aaron, he grows up admiring his father and wants to be just like him. But because he's developed, and through the stories you find out how, he's developed a broader view of the world. He understands some more of the mechanics and political aspects of it. He realizes there are things he's done or will be asked to do that don't sit well with him. And he's now got to start making these choices, what he will and won't do for the money. So, yeah, I could have just done a black hero with a gun and goes out and shoots people and, and you know, boom, do that, you know, thing. Or to do a story about a human being who's going through a series of extraordinary events to try to figure out who the hell he is in a world that doesn't even want him to have an identity. And bring the story and some of those elements into it. As you brought yeah. diversity well, in books, you've brought diversity to the different things that you do the Archie comics, the Black Eyes, it's and literally dozens of other things we haven't had the time to talk about. So uh, we're going to uh, show this for our listeners. Uh, links to your life, which is amazing. <laughs> and Alex, I can't <laughs> thank you enough for joining us tonight because you thank can you bring yourself into your work. It's wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. By the way, you can find me and Blackjack on on Facebook. And we'll have a link to that up there as well. So. Uh, oh, cool. Right, Zombarian? She says right. She says, yeah. 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> she, right. she was muted. <laughs> all right, it's all me tonight because we're missing Sir Sarah. So I guess I'll start with what's coming up next. Next week, we've got Noel McNeil, puppeteer of Bear in the Big Blue House in Eureka's Castle. And on the 25th, we have the most amazing, his eminence, Tracy Hickman, who's going, who who hasn't been on in, like, forever. We're going to catch up. We're going to catch up and discuss his facility with stairs, because I hear there's something he wants to talk about there. On the 8th, uh, Margaret and Jesse Lundberg stop by to talk about Harold the Happy Human Eater, I'm Always In for Cannibals. And on the 15th, Peter N. Dadar will talk about his book, Where Spiders Fear to Spin, this time for sure. But I'll be hiding under my desk. This the cursed interview! <laughs> I know, right? So here's where I really miss Sir Sarah, because now I get to say... Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic Con, Granite Con, Rhode Island Comic Con, BooksandBooze.com, and ComicArtHouse.com. Visit Comic Art House for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music is provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Check out more of their grooves on LawrenceMadeMeCry.com. Tonight's intro music provided by Rob Watts. Find more of his creations at RobWattsOnline.com. Dome. Uh, I don't know what they do. Uh, Sir Sarah, flying off to the travel safely, bring back cool stuff for all of us. For the rest of us, I'm Lou Time Vortex, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Brianna, and a woman of words on brain. Thank you so much, ladies. You got it. This is Dome saying Terry and Jeannie shared penis lessons, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everyone. <laughs>